welcome to my diverse universe. So what happened was, <laughs> I was planning on doing another episode, but then I got talking to my friend Dory. Now I've known her for a few years and I've always suspected that she has, oh, shiny thing, syndrome. Now that's what I choose to call what other people might call ADHD. I like to think of it as shiny thing syndrome because Dory is the most hyper-focused person I know until a shinier object comes into her immediate view. So yes, I was talking to my friend Dory and we just got chatting. And at the end of our little chat, I thought this is quite interesting. We came up with quite a few things that I think came out of our neurodiversity. And so, yeah, have a listen. You may enjoy it. You may learn some things, especially if you're a parent of teenagers. Just saying. <laughs> you have to decide what, you, what your favorite things are to do in a day and find a way to get monetize that in the nicest way possible. Does that make sense? Do you know what? I think that's good advice for anybody who is trying to create any business that is their passion or is done from their home or wants to create something. I feel like that's really good, solid advice to spend some time thinking about the parts of your day that you enjoy, the things that you want to do and to figure out how to monetize that. I think that's solid advice for anybody. And also, I have talked to a load of female entrepreneurs because I've been talking to female entrepreneurs, giving a little bit of advice here and there. And I talked to them about how they have to be more regular with their social media posts. And they go, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. And I say, well, tell me about your day. And they'll tell me about their day. And I'll say to them, but when do you get any time for yourself? And I have a theory, and you know I have this theory, Dory. My theory is I get to spend the afternoon for myself on the beach. And that's the, you know, that's the overall bargain I give myself for working in the morning. Yes. And so I believe the whole afternoon should belong to me every single afternoon. However, I understand people <laughs> have lives. But even if you do have children, even if you do whatever, you should as if it was an, a, an appointment with a doctor or an appointment with a dentist, you should schedule one hour that is your time to do whatever it is you want to do in that time. Now, it might not be lazing around. It might be finally getting something done that you've not been able to do for weeks. It might just be, I'm going to split that, that one hour into six, ten-minute periods and I'm going to do a 10-minute social media update every day. And I'll use that as my 10-minute me time because I'm investing in my business. The thing is, is that people aren't investing the time in their business they would do. If the child was doing a project, you'd insist that they invest the time in it. You'd insist that they do something. Whenever you're talking to your friends, and you, you'd insist they you know, devote your time to this. But people don't do it for themselves, especially mothers. 
I agree with that on both fronts. Taking some time for yourself, essential, always schedule it. The same way that people who are really good at saving money suggest you take your 10% off the top. That's your savings money. That's for your future. Each week, schedule your time off the top. This is my me time. This is important. On a social media front, yes. If you are not consistent, then... I mean, I hate to say it because nothing is beyond helping or improving. But if you're not going to be consistent with a social media platform, don't frustrate yourself by building one. Just don't. Because if you if you can't invest just a few minutes, you know, each day or every few days or even once a week, it won't grow. And that's going to be a sense of disappointment for you. I mean, we all understand the dopamine and the good hits and the greatness that comes from seeing the hits and the likes and building a platform. But if you're not consistent on the other side of that, you're going to feel like, oh, I'm falling behind. I haven't done my things. Nobody likes my stuff. Why should I bother posting it? But it's the same thing as any relationship, any friendship. If you are friends with somebody for 15 years, but you only get in touch with them once every five years, yes, you might have that feeling of, oh, that's my old friend. I I totally get it. But they're not going to be the first person you think of to tell something really important to because you only touch base with them once every blue moon. And as human beings, we are... We're attuned to the people who are regular in our lives. So if you want for your social media to grow, you need to be a regular presence in their life. They see your posts. They know you're around. Even if you don't come up in their For You page, they think, oh, well, I wonder what Amanda's up to. I haven't seen her posts in a couple of days. They're going to go looking for the content. But on the other hand of that, if they know you don't post consistently, and it might be a month or three or six months until they see a post from you, they're not going to go looking for you every couple of days because they know they haven't missed anything. Also, I would like to point out, if you don't like making social media stuff and you have a tween or a teenage child Make them do your social media. Give them their pocket money. Say, listen, you do five posts a week for me on Instagram. They have to be approved by me before you post. But you do five posts for me a week. I'll give you this amount of money, pocket money. Ooh, yes. I'm saying, you're going to have to give them some pocket money anyway. Don't make them do the washing up. If they're not the sort of kid that's going to do that, don't talk to them. Don't make them do the washing up. You like washing up. Do the washing up yourself and make them do your social media for you. (laughs) Well, and there are other avenues too. If you have a business, there are companies that do that kind of thing. There are individuals that do that. So you don't necessarily have to be a social media god. And I know a lot of people who have businesses or are creatives, they're really good at what they do. Your product is your passion. You love what you do. That doesn't necessarily mean that you are innately, instantly good at marketing. It has, a, it has multiple functions because especially if you have a teenage young person 
in the house and you're not really getting on with them all the time, it's actually quite nice to put yourself in an under position in something that they're good at. No, that is true. A, it gives them confidence because you're going, okay, listen, you're good at this. I'm not. I need this. You need some money. Um, (laughs) I mean, I need this. And what I'd love you to do is explain it to me. And what what that does is it allows your, your young person to explain things to you. And it, it, it allows you to have a slight shift in a relationship, especially if you've been having a tense relationship. It allows you comfortably, without losing any of your respect in the household, because they already know you're shit at it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't lose any respect in the household. What you do is you gain respect because you allow them to teach you. And it has the extra purpose of you actually learn stuff. And you can do things with, you can actually get comfortable with social media working with your, your child. They can well, help you get comfortable. And that allows you to have any sort of dynamic you want from that point. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, no, definitely. When I started social media, I had to figure it all out by myself. <laughs> but do you think it's something that, that makes sense? Oh, definitely. If I if I had teenagers in the house now, I would certainly be seeking out their expertise. One of my friends, she grazes her granddaughter and she definitely is able to supply a child's eye view on social media. She will help her make videos for that's my lady who does the Bodabra. And it is very helpful. They understand social media in a way that we never will. We just never will because it's not first nature to us. But also, I mean, I use the strategy with my niece. That's how I learned how to use Instagram. I didn't know anything about hashtags. I didn't know anything. I just fell into this thing and found out that it, it gave a better feeling, especially when we were having tense moments. And so I just thought, oh, this is our actual strategy you can use deliberately. So not only did it help in that way, but I, when she was trying to teach me, if there was anything about her behavior that was really annoying me, I would be like that when she was trying to teach me. But when I was trying to explain to her how important it was to write on the chalkboard when you finish something so that when the, so that if the ketchup was empty, right on the chalkboard that I need to buy ketchup because that concept was not going through her head. And it was because every time I tried to explain it to her, she'd go, oh, I know that, I know that. But she didn't because she never did it. (laughs) So when she first started explaining um, Instagram to me, everything she said, I go, oh, well, I know that. Oh, no. You don't don't because you're not. Yeah, but I do know it. And she goes, you don't, though. You don't. And I'd wait until she used the exact phrase that I was forced into using with her, you see. I'd remember what that phrase was that she forced me into using. And usually it was, just listen. Shut up and listen. 
had a full so circle moment. Do, so I would just do it until I got the response out of her that she had forced me into. And then I'd say, when, you know, I'd say, see, it's really annoying, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so what you're telling us is one half benefit, one half, one dash spite? Teach him lessons. Remember, they're teaching you. They're telling you stuff. Now, you tell them stuff every single day that they don't listen to, that they do things that really annoy you. You can, it's a multi-purpose tool is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> this is the Swiss Army knife of navigating teenagers. I swear to God, the Swiss Army knife. Get them to teach you social media. You can use it in whatever way that suits you. You know, if you're not the sneaky parent like in their life, like me, then, you know, just ask them because you want to know. Innocently, wide-eyed. <laughs> well, and I think it, it is a really good opportunity even just to sit down on a peer level with your children. Because how often in that parent-child dynamic do you sit down as peers and discuss anything? Well, exactly. But not only peers, but they are actually superior to you. Yes. And just don't tell them. <laughs> well, no, 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 it's important as well. It's important that when you go to them, you say, listen, you are so much better at this than I am. Because it is a very safe way for you to show them the example of, if you don't know, ask for help. Never be too proud to ask for help. That's another you know, little prong of the Swiss Army knife. You're showing them it's okay in life to say, you're really good at this. Can you help me? That is a good point. And it isn't always easy to reach out and ask for help. It makes me think visually of when my son was little and he would try and try and try at something and then get frustrated. And what was always my answer? Well, why didn't you ask mommy to help? Why didn't you come and ask me to help? Why are you all angry instead of asking for help? So I think that is a good way to model that it's okay, okay. to ask for help. Now, I would actually make a slight adaptation on that response. And this is something that, you know, I'm, uh, my brain has just pulled out of its archives. Is that the, why didn't you ask mommy for help is probably not how you phrased it. But let's say... In, for example, that you did phrase it in that way, I would suggest that you would, the first thing you'd say is, would you like mummy to help you? <laughs> if they say yes, then you say, you can always ask mummy for help. And then you say, what would you like mummy to help you with? Do you see, you've, yes. you've reinforced the help, help, help three times, very important. You've also kept it completely positive all the way through. There's no accusation because the question yes. why implicitly includes an accusation. Do you see what I mean? And I would always suggest for the next time, you can't do anything about what happened in the past. Oh, no. If I, was talk if I was talking to a parent now who's yes. going through this, I would say, try this. Make the first question, would you like me to help you so that they're making a choice? If they say no, 
you then would follow it up with, well, you know you can ask mummy for help at any time. And yes. then you walk away. And then if they're keeping stubborn, stubborn, you come back and you say, would you like mummy to help you? If then they say yes, you then say, what would you like mummy to help you with? And, you know, mummy will always, you know, is always here to help you. If she, you know. Any formulation of that, but it's the, it's the concept of asking the question first, letting them make a choice if they want you to help. Yes. Or not. Don't hover over them. You've offered help. They've said no. If they then fall over and cry, you say, well, <laughs> mummy was there to help you. Should we do it again now with mummy helping? <laughs> yeah. Because it's important that a choice is followed by a consequence. And that's another thing that parents don't always understand is that the consequence is as important as the choice. So if they say, go away and leave me alone, go away and leave them alone. If they hurt themselves because you were about to stop them, you say, well, you know, that's why I was about to stop you, love. <laughs> <laughs> I will say there was a very short term in his life where he did not want my help for anything, and it led to a lot of frustration. But I also feel like it was a developmental place where he needed to be would you like my help no okay then you do it by yourself it's okay you can do that by yourself but it was a very small period of his life not even a full year i would say where i wasn't allowed to help him with anything nothing he didn't want my help for nothing <laughs> the difficulty i have often is when parents don't allow their children to try Hopefully. Yeah, you yeah. have to try. You're not going to be good at everything the first time. It's not going to be helpful. When your kids want a little pail of water and a cloth to help you wash walls, yes, they're going to make a streaky mess. But if you don't allow them to try when they're little, then why would they want to try when they're large enough to be helpful? It's not always helpful, but it's it's important in building that that bond, that ability to say, you know, I can't do everything by myself. I can ask for help. Even as grown-ups, we struggle with that, I think. The idea that we have to be, if we don't do it all by ourselves without anybody's help, we didn't do it at all. I have to remind parents often that it's not actually your job to stop them falling over. It's actually your job to help them up again. I agree with that. Because it's the falling over that needs to happen so that they learn you can get up. Now, you can use have help getting up, and that's what mummy's there for. Do you see what I'm saying? But Absolutely. there are parents that won't allow their children to make mistakes because they're in there quick as you like solving it. And sometimes a child has to be without solution in order to be forced to come up with one. And then once they've come up with something, or once they're on the, you know, they've, they've got to the point of going, oh, I, I have to come up with something. That's where the, the parent should then swoop in and say, right, let's come up with something. Do you see? Absolutely. I think even as adults, if you're mentoring someone or if you're helping them learn any kind of skill, I think that's essential for adults too. You need to give people the space to come up with it on their own, maybe fail a time or two 
and allow the space for them to come and say, okay, maybe I wasn't ready to listen before, but maybe I might like a little bit of advice now. I've tried it. It was hard. Could you please show me the easy way? Do you know what? Also, I'm going to do a whole episode actually on failure. I love that. And I'm going to say my basic premise here, and I'm going to do a whole episode on it. We are brought up in our society to think of failure as something bad. Now, very, very early on, when I was working out my brain, my brain understood that failure is actually the first step to success. Because if it doesn't work, it tells you what not to do the next time. Yes. It gives you tips on what to change so that you will have more success the next time. And then even then, if you fail again, you're refining your plan, refining your plan, refining your plan until you get to the success. And then all of a sudden, we don't call it failure. We call it success. Success. But it's but it starts in the same way that failure starts, of you just giving something a go. Success starts the same way failure starts. It's just how we perceive it when we when it when we come to an end. Honestly, the the difference between success and failure has been monumental in my life personally, but I think When I imagine you saying that, I think of that person. We all know that person. Everything comes easy to them. They seem to be good at everything. And a lot of us, I feel like, envy those people until you see them in a real-life situation and you realize when everything goes well for you and you always succeed and nothing goes wrong, when everything doesn't go your way, You might not have the skills to wrap your brain around that, to come up with a solution because you've never had a problem that you actually had to solve. That's why when you go back to your 20-year reunion or whatever reunion, school reunions you go to, a lot of the popular people haven't had great lives. They haven't. Because they haven't had to try to make friends. They haven't had to try to do this and try to do that. They were popular. Whereas if you spent your whole school life struggling, 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 and you're learning ways of doing things, ways of, you know, making friends in ways that might not be normal to other people, but you manage to find a way of doing it, that's all stuff you use in your adult life. And they're important skills, so important. My son struggled a lot when he was small with bullying. And as a parent, if if you think I didn't want to just march into the school and yell at everybody and make them do something about it, I did. But I realized that he needed to learn the skills to deal with that. And it was a struggle. Him and I brainstormed a lot. Why don't we try this, try that? But at the end of the day, he had the skills and I taught him that in kindergarten and I swear I never had to go through it again because then he understood how to create friendships, how to avoid bullying, how to create his own community. I don't think I could have taught him that at 15 like I did when he was four or five. I mean, I always despair at Gen X parents because we've, we created the millennials. Yes. We created them. And you know why? Because our parents did nothing for us. 
So no. when, when we became parents, we did everything for those children. Now, I say we, even though I did not have children, but I am surrounded by people who did, and I'm surrounded by people who I observed doing exactly that. They gave their children every single thing they didn't get. And what they didn't realize in doing that was all the things that you didn't get when you were a child made you into the self-sufficient person you are now. Absolutely true. When you take away the small hardships of life, you're taking away an experience from your child. You think you're helping them because you're making their life easy and they're, you know, they're happy and they're not having to be sad. But you're taking away that experience of sadness at that age. If you're shielding your small child from sadness until they grow up, you're doing a disservice. Well, and it's it's disillusioning because you can't go about your whole life thinking that everything is going to be easy and it's going to come to you with great ease and everyone will part the Red Sea to do what you want and not have that slap you in the face at some point. <laughs> I've seen it on lots of people at very different stages in life, but you will always come to the realization that, you know, not everybody is going to make everything your way. Equally, when I talk to the, the girls in, in my tutor group, when I talk to them about life, if they're going through a particularly hard time, especially at school with bullying or any sort of situations, yes. all, I can, all I can say is that all you have to do is get through school. Because once you've got through school, you don't have to revisit any of it. You don't have to have friends, because trust me, a lot of the friends you make at school, maybe one of them ends up staying in your life for the whole life. So you may think it's really important to be popular when you're at school, and you may even think that all of the things that happen to you when they happen to you at school are the end of your life, and that's why children get depressed easily, especially these days. And it's like, you know what? You just have to get through. Just get through it. Things get better. You just, yep. If you spend this school time focusing on what you need for the rest of your life and blocking everything else out, then when you leave school, you've got all the things you think you need for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if you didn't have friends. And P.S., that is peaking way too early if the highlight of your entire life is what happened in high school. There's so much life beyond the first 18 years of your life. Also, if I was a parent, I would want my young person to go through as many different experiences and I can help them, support them, do anything while they were under my roof so that I can guide them through what to do next. Because often we shield them from everything. We send them off to college or send them out into the world and we haven't really prepared them for all of the things that we should have really prepared them for because we, we think, oh, let's tell them a story about the death of their dog because we don't understand grief. No, let them understand grief as early as possible and as many times as possible so that when they're alone in their world and they're at a bad point and something bad happens, it's not going to tear them apart. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. But I look, I, I've spent my whole life looking at situations and going, why are you trying to shield your child from this? They're only going to have to experience it at some point. 
And surely the more times they experience it with you there, explaining it to them, helping them through, guiding them through, giving them strategies to cope with it, the better. So that when they are on their own and you're not there, they can cope with it. Well, and small consequences as you're growing are so much better than being slapped with the big ones as an adult. Absolutely. I remember a time when my son was small. He was about four. And we were at a store and he was jumping up and down in front of the door to make the doors open and close. And I said to him, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. And he said, no, no, I can do it. I'm not going to hurt myself. So there I have two choices. I can either allow him to continue doing what he's doing and learn if there are consequences on his own, or I can make him come and sit with me and stop what he's doing. I let him do what he was doing until he did fall down and scrape his chin. But he had to make that choice. I could have stopped him from hurting his chin, but also he has to learn if he's going to do the thing. <laughs> Might not always turn out well. And I always say as a parent, you have absolute control over the choices. You just have to make sure your child is making choices at every opportunity. So, for example, say you can do this or you can do this. These are the choices you have. Now, if you make the one that you don't want them to choose, something you know they're going to hate. <laughs> I'm going to say this to you now. You have two choices of how you proceed. You can do this or you can do this. And you make the one that you don't want them to choose the worst thing possible. Simple. Do you see what I mean? You guide their choices by what options you give them. I think that young people should be brought up with a choice based system. There is no right or wrong, there are simply choices. And at every opportunity as a parent, if you see choices your child should be making and they're not making, you stop them, you sit them down and you say, listen, you are going on this path. I see where this path leads. However, it's your path. Therefore, these are the choices you have to choose from. Do you see? I think it's How you always better to offer an option than just to say do this or else. Because what is the or else? It's usually a punishment of some kind, which usually. basically makes you feel shitty. It makes them feel shitty. It makes everyone feel shitty. So instead of doing that, give them a nice option. You can either spend the next hour tidying your room or you can play quietly. <laughs> Over there doing this, this or this task. Make your choice right now. Do you see what I'm saying? I love it. I think even as adults, we, we love the option of the choice. I think that as human beings, we feel very strongly about the things that we choose for ourselves as opposed to the things that people try to force upon us. Again, as you know, most of my strategies are like Swiss Army knives. You are getting them in the habit of when they are getting into a spiral or a certain position in their getting out of control If you have their entire lives interjected at that point, they then get into the habit of hearing that voice at the correct point saying you have these choices. And if you're not there to give them the choices, their brain will fill in the blanks. And if you've taught them about how choices work, you are teaching them a longer-term adult strategy of stopping themselves spiraling, of acknowledging when something's not working in their lives, 
if you model the future behavior that you want them to have by being the voice of reason in a mind that is spiraling, or if you are that voice as they're growing up, then you become that voice in their head when they're adults. Now, how do I know this story? Ask me, how do I know this, Amanda? How do you know this, Amanda? I know it to be true, but how do you know it to be true, Amanda? (laughs) Because at least twice a month, one of my ex-pupils will either ring me, message me, write me an email or something saying your voice was in my head when I had this choice to make. I would tell them why I'm stopping them so they're perfectly aware why I'm interjecting because they got used to it. (laughs) They got used to it happening. (laughs) So they then, when they're older and as adults, they're in a certain situation, their brains kick in with the Miss Murphy's voice saying, are you sure you want to be doing that right now? And literally, I get messages, I get messages, I get emails, I get videos, I get all sorts of stuff from ex-pupils going, oh, do you remember that day when? Well, (laughs) it goes into young people's heads. You know, I'm migrating a lot of my blog posts from articles and things. I'm I'm migrating them all over into Amanda's headspace. I just reread an article I wrote called Job Done, and it was just proof that actually you think they're not listening. You think that all the times you're saying stuff to them that they don't listen. When all said and done, they are listening. They are. Anyway, I'm not going to explain it. Read the article, Job Done, that's in my article section of my Amanda's Headspace. It's worth a read through if you're, you're feeling a little bit sort of down and you think that your teenager just doesn't listen to you. I think that's the perfect place to stop. I know you've got loads going on. Tell us what's going on. So if anybody wants to meet me real life in person, I'm going to be doing my first live speaking engagement at Las Vegas Keto Health Expo this September. And if you want a chance to win tickets, check out the notes below Amanda is going to add everything right there for you. And Uh, thank you for inviting me. This was so much fun. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you. Bye.